Welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice through a biblical lens. I'm Matthew Thompson. I'm Mason Simmons. And we, we say with great solemnity that, that Tanner is, again, not here for, for our season one finale of Cross Training. He's, he's off saving lives. It's been a fun ride going through John and a couple other things that we've done in the beginning. And I think how fitting it is to kind of wrap everything up where kind of everything really gets started here at Christmas week. Oh, shoot. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, everything gets wrapped up with the gospel where the gospel started. Yeah, we'll put a bow on it. Ooh. Call it a day. Ooh, a Christmas oh, this bow? Will, this, yeah, this will become the day after Christmas. That's that's cool. I didn't think about that. No, but this this season, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more at the end of the episode because we don't want to waste too much time. Um well, yeah, we'll get we'll get to that at the end of the episode. We'll we'll dive right into scripture. We won't waste any time. This will this will be a, a pure meat episode and we'll leave all the fluffy bits at the end. So if you don't want to like deal with that, then you can just stop listening when we when we end the episode officially. So uh this will be John chapter twenty one, the last uh last chapter in the book. This well let me ask the question, Mason. What what's what's the goal of the book of John? What's what's the purpose of it? Well, John said in the very beginning that this was kind of a book to show who Jesus really was. It was more of a light to show his deity, I guess. Precisely. Its, uh, its goal is to establish Jesus as the true son of God. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is the goal. Everything in, in the book, no fluff, is just engineered to get that point across. So as a result, the position that John takes, and he's said it uh, a couple times in the past few chapters we've been reading, that he serves as an eyewitness. So the language in the book, for the most part, reads as though like someone is nearby like recording this. This, this is an eyewitness account. It's not really like a—I um, know I've used the word narrative a couple times throughout this deep dive, but it's not really narratively driven in that it reads like a story. It, it's an eyewitness account. This is meant to prove that Jesus is the undoubted Son of God. So chapters 1 and 21 have kind of a different feel to them because they're, I mean, chapter 1 is, I mean, it's an introductory thing. It's, it's showing you like, hey, this is, this is preparation. This is who Jesus is, and this is what the, the purpose of this, uh, this book is. It doesn't read like an eyewitness account. Um, chapter 21, it retains that eyewitness kind of view thing, but it, it definitely reads like um, an epilogue, I guess you could say. It's got a very like right off into the sunset feel to it at the end that I like. This this uh, this chapter does a very good job of just closing out the Gospel of John while keeping that purpose in mind of establishing Jesus as the incarnate Son of God. So I'll just dive right into it. The first uh, three verses here read: After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way: Simon Peter, Thomas, who was called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. And two others of his, of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, We will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, just for some clarification, please correct me if I'm wrong here, Mason, but the, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, correct? I do believe so. Okay. That, that's what I was thinking, but I just wanted to make sure I didn't write down a bunch of filthy heresy. So, a few observations here. It seems that we're, we're back at square one with, with these seven, I believe, disciples. They're, I mean, they're, they're not ministering. What, what are they doing? Like, they just stand around with their thumbs up their butts? Like, oh, hey, Jesus, he died and he came back, but he's not with us. So like, what's, what's going on? What do, you, what do you think is going through the minds of the disciples right now as they're kind of just twiddling their thumbs? And then Peter goes, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. And everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah let's, let's go fishing. I was waiting for someone to tell us to do something. I think that's exactly what you're doing at that last part. They're waiting for somebody to tell them to do something because this whole time they've been following Jesus around. While Jesus is not around to follow anymore, at least here during this time where they're wanting to go fishing. So they're just kind of left by themselves. And, you know, ever since they haven't been by themselves the entire time until before they even met Jesus. Ever since they've known Jesus, they followed him, you know, listened, watched, done what he done, done what he said. And now, after, what is it, like three and a half years, for the first time and that amount of time, they, they I guess, I don't want to say think for themselves, but I, I mean, that's the best way I know how to explain it. I mean, when you've been uh, tailgating with the Son of God for a couple of years and suddenly he's not there, like, there's going to be some definite confusion there. Um, I mean, 
it you can almost treat it like a like a really bad breakup. Like you're so used to just functioning with this person by your side that like not having them there anymore. It, I mean, it affects the way that you live your life on a daily basis. And, I mean, if that's how it works with, like, a breakup with an earthly companion, imagine, again, the son of God. Even though these disciples still have each other, like, they weren't, they weren't following each other. They were following Jesus. And they have, figuratively speaking, lost their leader. Like, there is that question of, so what now? Now, I think, I, I've read that there's a little bit of pushback on their decision to go fishing. That like that that seems like a like a step back. I mean that's what Peter was doing when he was called by Jesus initially, correct? I mean th- these were people that some of them were, were fishermen by trade, or at least Peter was. I, don't, I can't remember off the top of my head if any of the others were. Uh, so like what are they just going back to their old life? Like Jesus, he he did his job, so now we're just back to normal. Like there there was no no fire in them. Is that the case? Well, while I don't I didn't think that, that was true going into this, I also didn't have like a bunch of logic to throw at why that wasn't true. So I did some reading. And I got kind of an answer to the question that I hadn't fully formed yet. Since they're not with Jesus uh, physically uh, right now, I can assume that they aren't, like, being given stuff. Because it's kind of understood that throughout Jesus' ministry, he lived off the charity of others. Like, as he went to went to places, um, like, food was provided in a lot of cases. Obviously, this isn't, like, a 100% blanket statement. But, I mean, for instance, to give just a little iota of proof that I'm not just talking completely out of my butt, you have the, the feeding of the 5,000. Like, Jesus wasn't like, hey, I brought some fish and bread. He was like, hey, does anyone have any food? And he took what was given to him and made that work for the entire group. And mm-hmm. we can infer that more or less that's kind of what he worked off of because, I mean, he didn't have a job. He was doing his ministry. So some, someone had to... Uh, provide and and there are uh, areas throughout Scripture where you see that like disciples go off to market and like buy stuff. So it's not 100% like charity as in people are just handing them food, but they weren't they weren't worrying basically. Like they weren't. I doubt there were very many times throughout Jesus' ministry that the disciples woke up and they were like, "Crap, where are we going to get our breakfast?" Like that. That's just something they didn't have to worry about. We can theorize at least. Again, this is all like kind of reading in between the lines of Scripture. So keeping that in mind. Um, now, without without Jesus, without this uh, daily adventures of uh, his ministry to feed them, more or less, I mean, they've, they've got to be self-sufficient. So, I mean, I'd imagine they were kind of hungry. be like, hey, let's, uh, let's get some fish. I have, that's a good idea. But I've also heard uh, some preachers talk, uh, preach about um, going back to the old man. Because, you know, when you start living without Christ for a little bit, what do we do? I mean, we go back to our old selves, kind of like that breakup. What do we do after we've had such a routine? We, we try to go back to our old one before that. And that's exactly what Peter done. Peter hadn't been fishing the whole time he was on the ministry. So what did he do? Jesus has came. Jesus has gone for the time being. So Peter's like, well, I'm going to go do what I was doing before. Going back to his old man self. Yeah, I can see that because that that's a lot of what I was reading. Mm-hmm. And I can I can see the logic in that, but we'll see in Jesus' behavior towards his disciples, there wasn't any rebuke that I could read in at least. And like does Jesus necessarily have to specifically call out like everything for us to know that it's wrong? No. But I feel like there would be at least some iota of rebuke from Jesus if that was the case. But of course I I mean I'm no theologian, I can't speak authoritatively on that. So I do see that and I do agree in uh, in a way with that, but I do also see some legitimacy to the claim that like this is them literally just like feeding themselves, mm-hmm. like the they ain't got food, they got mm-hmm. got a fish for it. Well, they weren't having any luck. But verses four through seven that starts to change it says just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, "Children, do you have any fish?" They answered him, "No." He said to them, "Cast the net on the right side of the boat." and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of the fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. So, uh, again, a few, few things here. So Jesus shows up. And evidently, it's not in some crazy display because the disciples don't even recognize it as being Jesus. And we've already had a discussion over, like, hey, did Jesus literally look different or uh, what else was going on here? Did he look different? Was there, like, a physical difference or was, like, why, why couldn't people recognize this dude? I mean, he, 
surely he looked the same in a way. And again, we already hashed this out, so I'm not going to beat a dead horse there. But I think it's worth um, mentioning that, like, I mean, for one, there is a decent bit of distance between the disciples. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. It also could just be, like, straight distance. Like, yeah, they could see somebody. They could hear him yelling, probably. Exactly. But, I mean, this could have been, I don't think, we read a time of day. Yeah, I was just about to say it does say just as day was breaking. So I mean, there's absolutely. I mean, there's gonna I mean, be some like mist out on the yeah, water. especially early and on the yeah. lake. Like it, fog is no uncommon thing. Like it, yeah. it, it very easily could have been foggy on the banks. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that to illustrate the point that while last week we were able to hash out like, oh, Jesus looked different. What does that mean? I don't. I don't really think you can read that far into it in the scripture. Like it is. It's a case of. I mean, it says. Uh, something about closing a distance of like several yards or something like that. Like let's assume there is at least like, I don't know, half a football field in between Jesus and disciples. Couple that with like the mist that's on the water at the uh, breaking of day. Like, yeah, you, you're not going to recognize a dude. Like it's, it's just a person standing there. Now, to be fair, like if anyone is going to randomly show up while they're out fishing, it would be Jesus. But I guess they're not in that mindset right now. They're primarily focused on, dang it, we're not catching any fish, and my stomach hurts. I want some food. So, I mean, there, there's plenty of uh, moving objects taking place uh, in this scene that would, like, allow you to believe, like, okay, they just they don't recognize who they're looking at because of perfectly reasonable explanations. And I think it's kind of ironic. Kind of, This is going on a different note, but you said it earlier. Like, this is what... At least Peter did. I, I think that there was a couple more. I didn't go back and uh, read the other references. I believe it was in Mark. It might have been in Mark chapter 3 or one of the other Gospels. Um, but Mark 3 is where we can see all 12 were called in some way. It might mention what their uh, hobby, job, whatever. Job, profession. P- profession. That's what I was looking for, what the profession was. Um, but with that being said, we know that at least Peter was a fisherman. So you could pretty well say that uh, considering he made a career off of it he knows what he's doing he knows what he's doing so for someone like him to not catch a single fish yeah literally a professional it's kind of a big deal and i've heard i've heard it say a lot and i I firmly believe this that it was that's supposed to happen like jesus made sure there was no fish in their nets yeah i don't know if this is specific to john but there's no pushback when Jesus says to cast the net on the other side. Like, they're, they they listen. Like, these disciples, I don't know, it seems like there's been some solid character development over the past 20 chapters. Like, these disciples uh, that you would expect that Peter, at least, has all the, uh, all the permission in the world to have some pride uh, when it comes to his fishing. Like, again, he knows what he's doing. So when this stranger shows up, it's like, hey, have you have you tried casting it on the other side? <laughs> like you would think that he go, uh, I will do that when I feel like doing that because the other side is roughly two feet away. That's not going to make a difference. But thank you, concerned citizen. Like, I don't know. I guess Peter's got some humility about him now. And that might be just me reading too far into scripture. But that is something that kind of point out um, that I kind of pulled out from that. Be like, oh, they're they're listening now. There's not, there's not pushback. There very well could have been. Like, yeah. some, they could have at least been thinking it probably. Like, really? Like, we've been out here all night, and yeah, you're really going to say, oh, just throw it on the other side of the boat. Yeah, and I mean, hey, maybe they did sass back, and that's just not in John. But that, I don't know. That's what I got out of it. <laughs> uh, also, a fun little translation factoid in uh, verse 5 when Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? If you wanted to translate that today, like the, the word really that he used translated from Greek was lads. Lads. <laughs> Lads. L-A-D-S. So I, I like that. I, I prefer that to oh. be the, the word used. In honor of Tanner, mad lad. <laughs> mad lads. Yeah. But um, another fun observation. So you have Peter going to, to swim towards Jesus when it's realized that, oh, crap, this is Jesus. Jesus is back. Um, of course, Peter is the kind of guy that would do that. I mean, he's, he's always the... the um, do did, first, think later. He did walk on the water. Yeah, you might have. Maybe he thought he was going to land, no, l- no. stick the landing, and just be able to run. I mean, he did take a garment off, so I guess he was expecting to get wet. So he's like, I, ain't, I know what happened last time. <laughs> but uh, a mentality that you can kind of get from Peter is, uh, and this is keeping in mind that we're fresh off of uh, chapter twenty, where Peter and John they they go to the tomb, right, and they they run to the tomb. Who gets there first? John. The beloved. The beloved disciple. Sorry. Uh, Peter, he gets there 
uh, second, but he's the first to walk in because again, he's he, he's got it. He's a doer. He's he's gonna get in there. He's gonna do it. It seems that uh, Peter's got this mentality of, oh, John ain't gonna be the first again. <laughs> like, when he sees the Jesus over there, he's like, I ain't, I ain't waiting. Like John, John doesn't get to record this crap as the beloved disciple got to Jesus first. No, I'm swimming it. So you got again that uh, that very um, boisterous, well, boisterous. I don't know if that's the word to use, but very passionate attitude that, that Peter has about about Jesus. As much as he's messed up, that Scripture records, you can't fault him for having a, a strong heart when it comes to to loving Jesus. And he does get uh, an opportunity to prove that in a few more verses. John did get to record that he recognized him first, though. Yeah, that he had to he, he had, had to, to sneak that, that in, in there. Yeah. Yeah, well, I saw him first. <laughs> I knew it was him. Yeah. But uh, verses 8 through 11, uh, next up it reads, The other disciples came in the boat, uh, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. So two halves of a football field. <laughs> like I was kind of ballparking it there for a second. Uh, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish... Uh, that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. So I have a couple of uh, observations about this, and none of them are like theologically deep or anything like that. First off, we're, we're talking about fish and bread, so that, that brings to mind personally the feeding of the 5,000. But when I thought about it for more than 20 seconds, I was like, well, wait, what else are they going to eat? <laughs> so that might, again, be kind of reading too far into it. I mean, it wasn't like cuisine was varied for people of their socioeconomic stature, so bread and fish was probably, like, your only options. So that Maybe it's supposed to evoke the thought of the feeding of the 5,000. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Just just depends on if it helps you get something out of the Scripture, I guess. Uh, also, dang, Peter is swole, like, I was looking this stuff up, 153 fish, like, that, that's a lot of fish. Like, you don't have to, like, ballpark the weight of your average fish to know that 153 fish weighs a stinking lot. And Peter over here is hauling them all by his lonesome. Like, Peter swole. Dang. Like, that's something that's easy to brush over. But that takes some strength. Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net offshore, or ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. So maybe he had, like, the help of the water there for a little bit. But, shoot, this guy, this guy hauled... A good deal of weight. Like, I was actually looking up, like, hey, what, what would this weigh? And most um, people are like, oh, well, this much fish and that kind of net at the time would weigh around, like, 300 pounds. So, again, Peter Swole. <laughs> Another observation that I can't claim is my own. I did uh, read this in a commentary. But an interesting detail about Jesus deciding to appear here at this time to these disciples is he's not... He's not only interested in their value when it comes to ministry. He's not interested in them as like only as tools of his glory. Although, like, let's be realistic. If we are following Christ, then we are tools of his glory. So that's not the best phrase in the world. But they're not, they're not just tools. They are people that he wants to have genuine relationships with. So him appearing at this time where he can catch them off guard, where he can catch them when they're not, um, like, reciting uh their, their scriptures when they're when they're not actively witnessing like there there's a reason that Jesus didn't approach the disciples when they're out discipling he's approaching them in their normal everyday life because he's interested in their normal everyday life he's interested in having a conversation with them after they have fished because they are good fishermen he's interested in them so that I think that's a, an important little detail that can be drawn from this uh, appearance of Jesus at this specific time in scripture uh, but moving on, verses 12 through 14 reads, Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew that it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So again, we go back to this attitude of the disciples aren't asking a lot of questions. They're actually like believing that there were plenty of times in scripture that we've read so far where the disciples, like, they, they get dumbfounded pretty easily. Like, when Jesus says, says stuff, they get confused, they get scared in some instances. It's very rare that they just get it. There are multiple times that Jesus has to state and restate uh, the things that he's saying in plainer terms just so they can wrap their little feeble he heads around it. So 
having that that knowledge in mind, it is very significant that finally the disciples are like, "Oh, we we know this is Jesus." There's there's no question because again, as we already established, there is plenty of reason for them to not recognize him this time because there were like actual visual obstacles in the way. Uh, but keeping in mind that this was a conversation that we had last week of like, "Oh, did Jesus look different?" Like, they're not doubting anymore. Like this is this is clearly Jesus. Like there is absolutely no reason to to raise a question as to that. So again, we do have some character development. Like the, these disciples have come a long way. They've they've learned something from the three plus years of a ministry alongside Jesus. And I would like to rewind just a little bit because there was one note that I left out on. Um, and this is another thing that personally I think is reading too far into scripture, but it is a nice little. I guess it's dangerous to say coincidence, but. We're going to roll with it. That 153 fish, that's specified in Scripture. Like, that, that's a confirmed number. Because I, I thought that was weird because there have been a couple times so far where uh, our differences in um, Bible translation causes, like, some little discrepancies here and there because, I mean, different translations. have. Yeah, well, we, where yours said 100 yards, mine said 200 cubits. Well, there you go. But, I mean— Beautiful a, example. A cubit is— Roughly but yeah. it did say 153 fish, correct? It did, yes. Yeah, 153, that's that's a solid, consistent number from what I did some research on. And since that's a number that is consistent throughout all translations of Scripture, people have a million theories as to what the significance of the number 153 is. And I read plenty of them, and a lot of them I was just like, dang, now that's, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. Like, there was one I was reading that the— the 100 represents Galilee, the, no, no, not the Galilee, um, the Gentiles. 50 represents Israel, and 3 represents the Trinity. I'm like, that's, if it makes you happy, then okay. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but I did find it interesting that 153 is the numerical value of the Greek words Peter and fish. So if you take, like, the Greek letters of those and, like, the their number in the Greek alphabet and add it all together, it equals 153. So, um I mean, that just kind of reads like a happy coincidence to me because, for one, Peter isn't his only name, and fish is a very vague term. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's a neat little detail. Uh, I think that's an example of trying to find symbolism where it doesn't exist. Um, you, I mean, you can find analogies if you, if you want. I'm not speaking against that necessarily, but I think the whole 153 has to mean something is a bit of a reach. But that's just my opinion. So let's get back to scriptural truth so I don't have to um, speak on my own authority. Uh, Verses 15 through 17 says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So I know we, we both can probably talk at length on this because hot dang, that's a, that's a good passage there. But I want to give one, one I want to open the discussion with a question. What is Jesus calling Peter? Son of Jonah. What What's he calling him, though? Like, re- read the full title. Simon Peter? No. Simon. Son. Simon, oh. son of John. What does Peter mean? The rock. No, Peter is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Peter. The <laughs> made rock, me doubt myself. The rock upon which he's going to build his church. But he's not calling him Peter right now. Yeah, he's calling him Simon. He's proven himself to to not be a rock. There, There's something to prove here. I think that's a very, very important detail because, I mean, Jesus gave him that name. Like, that's a big deal to be Mm -hmm. given a name that means rock, that you're sturdy, that not only do you have a strong foundation, you are the foundation. You are the rock. I mean, there there are parables told about that. Mm -hmm. Jesus is all about building stuff on the rock, but he's not calling him the rock right now. He's He's calling him by his title. Like, son of John. Like, he's not even necessarily giving him his name. He can't even have the independence of just being called his name. It's it's not, hey, Simon. It's Simon, son of John. Like that, mm, mm, that's got to cut. That's got to cut. Uh, you're, you're giving kind of a, an eyebrow furrow. Do you have something against that? No, I or, just want to know where you're going with this because I have an idea because I actually remember. Well, I mean, I've already made the point, like, uh, he's not calling Peter. Well, okay, I told you. 
before we were discussing this, we were kind of talking about like, I mean, of course, how a podcast would work. We kind of get on the same page. And I was talking about a sermon, but I couldn't remember most of the details. I, I'm starting to remember as we're going along now. And one of these is, I like how you brought up the Simon. I didn't catch that, but it's in that same sentence. Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Mm, I, I have the note. What does these mean? Okay, I want to hear you. Well, I mean, it, it could mean a lot of things. I mean, the two the two um, theories that I kind of equally see as being possible are, does these mean these fish, like your profession, your life before you met me? And these could also mean the other disciples, because Peter was a pretty big fan of making it clear that he's Jesus's number one fan. Like, he actively denied Jesus to his face when Jesus was like, you're going to deny me. Like, no, no. Not me, not me, Jesus. You, you don't, you don't know nothing about me. I, I would never. I love you so much. I love you more than everybody else in the world. I love, I love you more, more, more than these. Maybe the disciples were these. Maybe his profession and his life outside of uh, Jesus was these. Um, but Jesus has given him something to prove, in my opinion. Personally, I think it's the fish. Ooh, really? I do. Because I do lean a little bit more towards the disciples. Okay, I, I guess this is where we're different. I, I can kind of see the disciples, but. It, I'm with you because I'm with you on the fish because it is his profession. It's it's what he grew up doing before yeah. Jesus came. So literally his whole life minus three years, yeah. the last three or four years, that was Simon, Peter. Okay. So for him to kind of go back to that, it's what I kind of mentioned at the beginning. I really do think that Simon, Peter was kind of going back to his old life, just because he didn't have Jesus there to do to kind of lead him. Yeah. He was ex- he was expected to start being leading himself. I mean, Jesus literally said, "You are going to be the rock of the church, yeah, of the earthly church." I don't think he fully understood that. Otherwise, I truly don't think he would have just went out and started fishing. He would have started going out, you know, trying to tell some other people or something like that. And so, Jesus or not Jesus, Simon has went back to his old life. He has went back to what he's doing, catching fish. It very well could have been because they were hungry. But, I mean, when you do it as your profession, I mean, you might do it for fun sometimes. I don't know. A lot of people sometimes won't. But back then, they didn't have all the immaculate shiny toys that we do now. So, yeah. I mean, he Simon might have just really enjoyed going fishing. So he's like, let's just go fishing, guys. Yeah. So he's caught the – or he didn't catch the fish. Jesus gave him the fish. I mean, I think we can pretty well agree on that. If oh, he yeah. had caught the yeah. fish, he would have definitely had some before Jesus come along. Yeah. So Jesus gives him these fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, I don't disagree with that. I mean, that you you offer a very strong argument for that. But I would like to to represent the other side of the fence, uh, just for the sake of discussion, if nothing else, because I, I do again, like I do lean towards him referring to the disciples. Because you got to think, like Peter hopped out of the boat and swam towards Jesus. He was so pumped to see him. But along with that, being pumped to see him, he's got to have a mountain of guilt on his back right now, because. I mean, Peter knows just as well as anyone else. I mean, in theory, so do the disciples, since Jesus kind of called it out in front of them, that he he denied Jesus. When when the rubber met the road, when it was really time to, to prove his faith, he denied Jesus three times. <laughs> okay, now I get what you're saying. I We're looking at it in a different way. Do, yeah, it, it really depends on how you read yeah, the context. Do you, do you love me more than the disciples love me, mm-hmm. or yeah. do you love these fish more than you love me? Okay, exactly. We're looking at two different types of love here. Yeah. Which, and, I mean, it could have gone both ways. It, it, I mean, it probably could have. I mean, it, it, that probably was the goal, was to make him think of, like, literally everything around him. Like, yeah. hey, Peter, like you how claim much, so well, much I mean, to be my biggest fan. Like, are you? Because you kind of failed to prove that. Well, speaking of, we get to the three or the same question repeated three times. Yeah. As you just read. Yeah. So, talking about that love. Yeah, that – um. This opportunity that Jesus gives uh, Peter, or Simon, son of John, I guess I could say, he, he's been— He does been, not deserve Peter right he's now. Been re, he's been revoked of his rock status for the time being. Um, Jesus is giving him an opportunity to not only uh, atone for this sin, to, to get forgiveness, but feel forgiven. Because obviously, I mean, Jesus— he already died for everyone's sins. Like, that's—the mission has been accomplished. Like, in theory, all that uh, Simon, son of John, has to do is apologize and mean it in his heart. And you know that he he's grieving. I mean, it does say that he was grieved uh, on that third asking of the question. Like, he, 
he is filled with regret. He's filled with guilt. He wants nothing more than to prove that he is indeed this, the, this Peter that loves Jesus and wants to be that rock that the church can be build off, built off of, like Jesus said already. So I think we can safe, safely assume that like he is sorry. He desires repentance. But the thing is, keep in mind, Jesus let Peter know that he was going to deny him three times around other disciples. There were witnesses, and there are more or less those same witnesses there right now. So Jesus is giving Simon uh, an opportunity to not only like get that forgiveness that he so seeks, but get legitimacy. He's given an opportunity to genuinely like roll back the clock, more or less. Mm-hmm. Be like, I'm giving you an opportunity for everyone here, for the witnesses, including the eyewitness, the, the beloved disciple. I'm going to give you an opportunity in front of all these people to make it clear that you're sorry, that you love me, and that I won't have to worry about this happening again. A little fun fact, fun question, I guess. Hit me with it. Probably more of a fun question. Do you think this was like the first sin that was forgiven after Jesus came back? Depends on your definition of sin being forgiven. Well, I mean, like, the, it's obviously the first recorded repentance, obviously. But do you think, like, anybody would have known what to do before this, like, within the last few days? Oh, okay, I see your point. So yeah. do you think that this is kind of like the first, like, you know, like, Lord, forgive me for what I have done instead of going to the priest? The only pushback I would give to that is Jesus has given, like, the Lord's Prayer already that does incorporate uh, praying for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. So in theory, there could have been a few people that had already sworn by the, the Lord's Prayer and were doing that. So I'm I'm sure that yeah maybe but do you think they would have done that before Jesus actually died though like I'm talking about like Jesus blood I don't know why I said it like that but Jesus yeah. Jesus blood I mean it really is a case of like did someone just coincidentally like recite the Lord's prayer in between him dying and that so I mean we're playing at semantics here but I would say I mean this is definitely the first recorded one so there's definitely some uh, importance in that but I yeah I think an argument can be made definitely I can see that. Uh, it's really just me being a killjoy trying to say, well, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, this very well could be the first uh, repentance. Um, but yeah, there's just there's so much value in the opportunity that Jesus pre- presents Peter. Like the, this, so easily could have been a case of just Peter saying, "God, I, or Jesus, God, same thing. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I, I want I'm going to dedicate my life to to making up for this terrible mistake that I've made." And Jesus be like. I, I know your heart. I know, I know that you're real. Okay. But no, Jesus, he extended that hand mm-hmm. to uh, help Simon not only redeem himself in the eyes of God, but like in the eyes of others, because he's going to need that legitimacy. He does awesome stuff in acts. And could he really do that stuff if he had um, the weight of that denial hanging around his neck? So this was, this was definitely a necessary thing. And I don't want to uh, dwell on it too much because there's other stuff to talk about within um, those three questions that I think you have uh, to bring up. Yes, and so what probably 90% of our listeners have been waiting for within this chapter. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The translations of love, and little fun fact, like this is, I might say, can safely assume that this is the first thing that people get introduced to when going back to the Greek roots for words. When When people look at the type of love or the meaning of love because i mean us as americans we just use love and we use it 17 million different ways yeah but like other well, languages actually have different words for different types of for love. what it's worth i mean we do have like say the the word at the door like mm-hmm. adoration yeah but just the way that like our culture treats that yeah. word we don't treat it like on the same level as mm-hmm. love like if someone says i adore you there is not a guarantee that the other person is going to realize you mean like, oh, you more than love me. Mm-hmm. Like that's it really depends on the context. Yeah. So, uh, in fact, I, as we've already said, the translation is love. So Jesus asked Peter or Simon this same question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And every time Peter responds, of course, I love you. You know I love you, Jesus. Jesus, you know all things. Of course. But here's the discrepancy that we've kind of talked about. There is two different words, and I want to pull it back up just so that I make sure I get this right. 
And so these two words, or the two different types of love that is brought up is, in the first two questions, Jesus asked me, uh, and uses the word agapeo. How's that spelled? A-G-A-P-A-O. Okay. And that word, uh, when used when talking to people, is to welcome, to entertain, to be fond of, to love dearly. And throughout, Jesus uses that word, like a strong form of love, agapeo, in the first two questions. Simon's uh, response to love, the word that he uses, is phileo. And phileo means to love uh, kind of like a brother or to treat affectionately, to be kindly, or to be friend. You know, to be friends, a phileo. Like the love that we would have between each other would be phileo. The love that you would have for your wife would be agapeo or something. I might have butchered that. But you get what I'm trying to say now. Yeah. And so the first two times, as I've mentioned, Jesus uses the strong love. Like, do you love me? Peter's like, eh, yeah, we're bros. You know, we're bros. Of course you know that. The first two times, that's how Jesus asked him. He finally asked him the third time. And uses phileo, just like Peter has been using. So do you, do you like me, Peter? Like, do, you, do you even like me? It's kind of like when you ask somebody uh, how affectionate you are to somebody, and they're just kind of beating around the bush. And they're like, do you even like me? You know, much less love me. And I kind of feel like that's the response or qu- question that Jesus is asking me now, or asking Peter now. It's like, do you even like me? Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning. Uh, we've already um, established that more than likely Peter's got some guilt on him. I mean, he freaking better. I mean, come on. <laughs> um, but according, like, if we're going strictly off of just what Scripture is serving us and don't add anything to it, we have no reason to believe that the first two times that uh, Jesus asks, like, do you love me, that Peter knows what's going on. Because it's not until that third uh, asking the question, like, do you, do you phileo, do you, do you love me, that Peter is grieved, that we get any evidence that he's being, like, hit, that he realizes what's going on, and that's... Um, where he gets to have that that redemption. Uh, also, one more detail about this situation that I want to that I want to point out. I don't I don't suppose you recall where Peter was when he did not cross three times, do you? Unless he was just amongst the crowd. No, I do not. Unless he was warming himself by a fire. Yes, I do remember that now. Where is he right now? Oh me. Warming himself by a fire. Now you have blown. What? Props to you, man. Oh, yeah. Now you have got me. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, like the parallelism in this in this bit of scripture is just it's beautiful. Like it's a work of art. Like Jesus legitimately just sets this up to be like the perfect opportunity for Peter to have. And he done it three times. Dad give it, Matthew. Yeah, exactly. You got me this week, man. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he lays out the red carpet for Peter to get to to be humbled, to be humbled. Because obviously, I mean, Peter has to recognize like, oh, this is, this is about what I did. And the disciples, we, can, we have a pretty good reason to believe, know exactly what's going on as well. So he gets to eat his little slice of humble pie, but Jesus still serves this up on a silver platter in a way that like Peter can regain all of his legitimacy, for lack of better words. Like he's not going to walk away from this being like, yeah, Jesus forgave me, but man, I messed up. Like, Jesus really allowed a one-to-one redemption here that would allow Peter to walk away from this feeling strong, knowing that Jesus trusts him as his disciple and still wants him to go out there and do his work. Like, there's a lot of power in these verses. Are, are you still just like... Shoot, man, really? I'm just like, is this what it feels like? <laughs> I kind of feel like this was more obvious than like... Because, I, I, I mean, now that you've mentioned it, do you know Jesus? No. Do you know Jesus? No. Do you know Jesus? Heck no, I don't know Jesus. Do you love me? Yeah, we're bros. Do you love me? Yeah, we're cool. Do you even like me, Peter? You know all things. What are you trying to say? Man, and they're by the fire. Dadgum, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it feels. That's how it feels. It only took until the finale, but uh, with this 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 is the big payoff to, to cross-training season <laughs> one. So I finally got, finally got Mace to go, dang it! But yeah, it's I I just I love that bit of scripture there. It's it's it really shows you how Jesus wants to treat us as human beings. That he understands our failures. Because I mean, you got to think like we 
I've lost track of how many sermons or how many Sunday school lessons I've heard where people just rag on Peter for messing up because he did. I mean, he was told specifically, you're going to deny me three times before the end of the day. And then Peter's like, no. And I'm sure that he believed that in his heart. He's like, no, there's absolutely no way. Dude, I walked on water because of you. I have witnessed a bajillion miracles. He cut a man's ear off. I cut a man's ear off. <laughs> well, he didn't at the time. He hadn't done that yet. But I will cut a man's ear off. Oh, for yeah, that you. is right. Like, I, I will do anything for you. I will die in a hot second for you, Jesus. And like hours later, mm-hmm. hours later, you would think that that would like stick in his short term memory. You know, Jesus calling him out in front of the disciples saying, you're going to deny me three times. But no, evidently it either didn't stick in there or man, he was really denying Christ. Like there's Mm -hmm. really no easy way out of this for Peter. There's no way that you can defend him. Like he denied Christ three times. Mm -hmm. And it it really makes me think more about how you said that this is a one-on-one conversation because I, I really don't think, and it doesn't say that all the disciples were with him when he done that. So other than the closest to him would have been John. Probably, but at least for the rest of them, everybody wasn't there with him. I know, yeah. I, I, I believe I can say that with pretty strong yeah. authority. And so, other than Jesus saying, Peter, you're going to do this, I don't think any of the rest of them can attest to that. He's just kind of living with that to himself. Yeah. So, the fact that Jesus is coming to him in such a fashion that he is right now, Peter probably knows what's going on. And a one on one. The others are probably confused. I mean, I mean, I I didn't read through that, and I've been able to read the Book of John ever since I've been alive. You know, they didn't have this, so they probably would be more clueless than I was ten minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just how the, Jesus could have easily called him out. Like, yeah, you remember when you denied me three times? Well, look what you're doing now. Like, you're not saying you love me, and he could have very easily just been called out in front of all other 10, you know, 11 at the time. Um, but he didn't. He talked to him in a way that Peter understood. The others maybe possibly could have pieced the, put, could have pieced it together. I don't know. Personally, I doubt that. Uh, but it was in a way that Peter understood it. Yeah. And I, I think that that's a, a good way to read it as well. There, I think there are a lot of ways to read, like, who knew what, like, if the disciples had any reason to know what was going on. Um, I mean, if they did, they didn't let on. Personally, I think that, like, since they were present when Jesus said that Peter was going to deny him three times, then if they weren't putting the pieces together as this conversation was unfolding, I feel like they probably knew what went on, like, after the fact. Like, I feel like there, there was knowledge there. But I think the, the important thing about this uh, passage of Scripture is it really— it highlights the consistency of of Jesus for one, because this is the same attitude that he had, like when the the Pharisees brought the the woman before him, like saying, "Hey, according to law, this woman needs to be stoned. Like you you're gonna let the, let us let us let us stone this woman." And what's Jesus' response? He doesn't go, "Well, yeah, the law says that," but no, he starts writing stuff in the sand, and it makes them go away. He's like, "He he who's without first without first wow goodness, I was on a roll in here. I am he who is without sin cast the first stone." Like this, this is the way that Jesus treats this stuff. Like he's, he has every right in the world to judge. He, he could be judged during execution. At, at, oh my goodness, executioner. I'll survive this, I promise. Like he has every authority in the world to do that, but he's here to love first. Like that, that's the goal here. And the way that he treats Peter in this situation, like who would do that, honestly? Like who would do that? If you had a, if you had a friend and you had that kind of relationship and they denied you three times, like would you be, that loving to them would you give them that much of a red carpet treatment to like gain all of their like legitimacy back i I don't know if i would be able to be like that big of a person because mm-hmm. for one that takes some outside of the box thinking like that is some custom made like for peter forgiveness arc stuff right there like that's that is poetry i love it so much but yeah i i, I can't talk about that scripture enough it, it's i love i love those verses so we've still got a few verses left. And Jesus isn't done talking uh, to Peter either. He says, verses 18 and 19, says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. 
This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So I have an observation here. And I may or may not cut this because this might get like super irrelevant because we're, we're, we're hitting territory of like, let me just get into it. It's established that Peter died on a cross upside down mm -hmm. because he didn't believe that he was worthy to have the same kind of crucifixion that Jesus would have or that Jesus had. And Jesus points that out, says you're like, he says like this, this is how you're going to die. And I kind of want to point out just a little, I don't, I'd say a little trivia before we get into like the theological discussion here. Cause I think there is some legitimate discussion we have had around that verse. I find it so fascinating that you see out in like the secular world that an upside down cross is seen as like some sort of satanic imagery mm -hmm. because that's not true. <laughs> like, unless there's some other meaning behind it that I'm not aware of, like, an upside-down cross is just reminiscent of, like, how Peter demanded to be crucified. Like, why did we let people take that and use it for, like, hey, Satan, upside-down cross? Like, I I don't know. That's just that's just kind of a general observation that I have. Like, that's always weirded me out, this concept of that upside-down cross meaning, like, the devil when it's really just not. Mm -hmm. oh. Oh. Just, just, just an observation. But... Theologically speaking, why why would Jesus tell Peter this? I mean, just simple as that. Like, why is this pertinent information? The only thing I can think of for why is I wouldn't say to test him because Jesus obviously knows all things. Duh, he's God. He's all-knowing. But if it's a test for Peter to himself, like, how much are you willing to love me? Like, this is your final. This is what's going to happen to you at the very end. Are you still going to follow me yeah i think that it's a it's a cherry on top really like jesus has made it clear that not only has he forgiven peter but peter has proven himself he is he has um again like i, I hate to be using the same words over and over and over but he has won back the legitimacy that he lost through his uh through his sin and not only has jesus made it clear that like it's okay i love you and I still, I still trust you to do all the things that I trusted you to do before I, before I died on the cross. Um, he takes it a step further by making it clear that, like, your death will glorify me. Like, I called you on your sin before you committed it, right? Like, we already know that I'm capable of that. I said you were going to deny me. You did. But I forgive you. So let me call the future again. I know that you're going to continue following me. I know that your dying act will be to glorify me. I love you, Peter. Like that. Oh, oh, that's Cheers. just, mm, that's good stuff. That is good stuff like that. And that sounds so like, oh, what's, what's the word for it? Morbid. Like, it seems so morbid that you should find like a lot of comfort and like a borderline victory in like being told, oh, hey, this is how you're going to die. <laughs> like, like that, that seems like such borderline dark humor. That, that we make light of it like this, or at least that I make light of it. This is just how I read that scripture personally. But like, I can, I feel, I can feel like Peter's relief at hearing that. Like a sigh of, oh, thank goodness. Because imagine where Peter's mind's at. Like, he must feel like he's, he's not master of his own body right now. Mm -hmm. Nor should he. Like, he genuinely was a slave to sin. Like, he, he got to experience it like no one else ever could. Like, being told, you're going to do this egregious thing that you literally can't fathom doing right now. And then you do it. And then you get called out on it. But then you get you get that olive branch. Like, oh, thank goodness. But, like, the confusion going through his mind must have been insane. So Jesus offering this, um, this knowledge of, like, hey, you're going to glorify me to your dying breath. Like, that had to be just the mother of all reliefs to Peter's ears. That, that, that's how I read it, at least. So the bulk of our discussion over this being over a few verses uh, with Peter and Jesus back and forth, and rightfully so, I think that's where like the real meat of this chapter is, for, for me at least. Uh, there are a few more verses left that, that cap this uh, chapter off, and I'll read through them. Uh, verses 20 through 25 reads, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, wonder that could be, following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? 
When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to, to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things, and who has written these things, and we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So I, I don't have like a lot of revelations regarding uh, this bit of scripture, but I do have uh, just one or two observations. One, I, I laughed out loud when I, when I was reading this initially, because just the way that Peter addresses John, like, what, what about this dude? Why, why is he following? It's like, it makes me feel like John's like, he, he's stalking them like from the bushes and writing stuff down. <laughs> like, oh yeah, this is definitely making the final cut of that last chapter. Oh, this, this good stuff, this good stuff. And Peter's just like, dude, can you not? Like, we're having a moment. <laughs> it really reads like John's just kind of creeping, making sure to, to witness. It's like, hey, I'm the beloved disciple, man. Someone's got to eyewitness this stuff. Um, but again, as I've made fun of John before, I'll, I'll make it clear again. Like this, I mean, that that's his purpose. I mean, John, the purpose of John and the purpose of the person, John, both the book and the person, is that it offers a legitimate eyewitness account. It reads like an eyewitness account. It is a legitimate bit of intelligently, beautifully written proof that Jesus is the living Son of God. And... I don't know, just the way that it ends out, like it, it's got a bit of humor to it, it just the way that I read it, because I like to see everything as a comedy. It's something's wrong with me. Uh, <laughs> but you get kind of that, that view of, of Peter getting to follow Jesus. And I just, I just want to say that again. Peter gets to follow Jesus. Like this, the whole back half of this chapter just reads as Peter getting his time in the sun. Like it just, I, I, feel, I feel real good for Peter because I see myself. And Peter and I, and I hope that every Christian out there views themselves as Peter, someone who has all the best intentions at heart. They're like when someone asks, like, "Man, if someone put a gun to your head, would you say that you love that you love Jesus?" Like, I feel like we'd all say yes. Like, yeah, of course I would. Yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is the reason I'm here. God's the reason I'm here. I love God. I love Jesus. I'd, I'd lay my down my life. But when that when that barrel hits your forehead, who who might be thinking differently? And, I mean, heaven forbid that that actually happened to any of us, but I'm not going to sit here and say, like, it's okay to deny Jesus. I mean, obviously, like, that's definitely don't, definitely do not strive to deny Jesus. But, Peter, I feel like that failure is something that everyone's going to experience at some point in their life. I mean, personally, I'd, I'd say it's pretty stinking weird if you don't experience that sort of failure at some point in your life. Like, you're going to be tested mm -hmm. um, in your faith at some point. And given the fact that we are made of flesh— and that we are fallen, like, you're going to fail. And Peter offers a beautiful reminder that Jesus has grace for you. Jesus has forgiveness for you. And he wants, he wants you to take part in that grace. He wants you to take part in that forgiveness. And after he forgives you, he's not going to think any less of you. He sees your heart. He sees your love. He sees your intentions. He sees that you desire to show that you love him, and he wants to give you that opportunity. And this, this has been my sermon, but like, dang, I just, I love, I love this chapter for that um, interaction that Peter has with Jesus. Yeah, it's been really good. I'll, there's one thing I want to kind of just hit on real quick before we wrap everything up, just because I think it's a really good reminder because it's at least, at least in John, it's the last thing that we hear uh, Jesus say, of course, but it's also like the last thing that he's saying to Peter. Like I said, that's in John anyway. And it's when, of course, John asks, or Peter asks, what's John's purpose? You know, like, what's this guy for? And Jesus' last reminder that's recorded in John is, don't worry about him. Follow me. You know, if it's my will that he's here until I come back, what's that to you? Follow me. It, it, Jesus is trying to keep Peter focused. And I think that's a really good reminder for everybody that at the end of the day, don't be focused about the John. Yeah. Be focused on Jesus. You know, keep keep your eyes on him. I don't know if that's just like I think that's just really good how that's kind of wrapped up at the very end. Oh yeah. I mean, we've talked about that in uh one or two episodes in the past before we did this deep dive about how it's so easy to look at others that it just it seems like they're following Christ so much better than you are. 
and that can put you in a funk. Like it can get you to not idolizing, uh, not not worshiping God, but idolizing other people's worship of God. And that's mm-hmm. that's a dangerous uh, pit to fall in because that's one of those things that you don't realize you're doing something wrong until it's too late. And it is it's interesting that fresh after Peter gets that that redemption, like it again again we can see ourselves in Peter right after he's gotten his his time in the sun, he's gotten his his forgiveness, he's gotten all of his legitimacy back, and he's getting to follow Jesus already. He's sitting here going, yeah, well, what about him? Yeah, don't worry about him. Follow me. Again, like I can see myself in Peter there, and it, it gives me. It gives me a lot of uh, of hope knowing that like I'm not the only guy dealing with these problems. Like Peter was a, very much a normal dude. All the disciples were, but we can really uh, see a lot of ourselves in Peter. I think. But that's that's chapter 21, and that's that's the book of John. We made it. We made it. Uh, again, I'm I'm sad that Tanner isn't isn't here. I know he's he's here in spirit. I've got a I've got a hat in his chair that can that can represent him, and I know that uh, if he could be here, he would be. So this this is our, our finale of season one uh, to give a little bit of information on what to expect uh, with with season two. Um, my answer to that is that I don't have an answer. <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, I don't want to speak authoritatively because obviously we we like to have these discussions together and I don't want to like just say a bunch of stuff that may or may not be true. So what I can say from conversations that we've had behind the scenes, we're going to take at least a month off uh, personally. And I'm pretty sure I've gotten agreement from Mason and Tanner on this. But again, I just want to put that caveat out there. Since there is kind of a pandemic going on, uh, season two, we wanted to step up our interviews. We wanted to get a lot more people to just have discussions, uh, not just the three of us acting like we know what we're talking about, but get some uh, actual experts uh, in and have some interesting conversations. And of course, that's a little difficult when the situation is as it is with the wonderful coronavirus. So, given that there is, knock on wood, a pretty dope vaccine out there, hopefully in the next several months, uh, that will no longer be an issue. So, one month minimum. I can't tell you what the maximum is. It could be a minute. But the way I see it, if you like listening to this podcast, then you will stay subscribed. And we'll be back when we're back. Uh, Also, check out the other links. I know we've not been, you know, kind of putting that out there just because it's always typically in the show notes. But... Updates will definitely be in the Facebook group. If you are on Facebook, uh, just join the group. That'll be real uh, easy to find. There should be a link at the bottom. Also, we have Instagram. Probably not our best way. Uh, It's a little bit like Facebook, but it's a little bit uh, more tricky, harder to communicate as a group. Um, Of course, always have the email. can always send in emails. And we do have a Twitter. I'm not sure how, how active it is. I'm not on Twitter as much as I am the others. But definitely the Facebook group is active. We have two or three posts going up, it seems like, almost every yeah. day. Quite a bit of good discussions. If you're not part of it, please join in because, like I said, we have there are some really good polls and just different little things that we kind of like to discuss uh, through there. Yeah, and I know that I say that, like, you can just click on the links in, in the show notes, but I have been alerted that, like, depending on what kind of phone you have, like, sometimes that doesn't work. Like, some of them will just take you to it, and some, like, you can hit that link all day, and, like, it just legitimately won't do anything for you. So just for the sake of making sure that the information is out there and obvious, maybe maybe I should just start putting the full links in the show notes. I try to make it look pretty, but if that's counterintuitive, then I guess I should probably stop doing that. But the the link for Facebook is, um, oh, it just says Facebook link on our whiteboard. I don't like our, our links for everything else are like uh, cross training twenty, uh, like the Instagram is cross dot training and the number twenty. And then the Twitter is at cross training twenty. Is yeah, it the Facebook same group Facebook? is literally just cross training. Uh, currently sitting at one hundred and fifty members, and it has <laughs> it has I know a perfect number. Um, and one hundred fifty three would have been better. Oh, that would have been amazing. <laughs> Matthew, make a Facebook. No, can't make me. <laughs> but um, it has our logo that should be the same logo as uh, on the podcast that you're yeah. able to see probably yeah. right now. So uh, not too hard to find. Uh, it's open public, so I believe anybody can join. Don't have to have any invites and all that good jazz so uh, like i said it's a great way to uh, stay interactive and we have a lot of good discussions on there some of which we might try to bring out for season two some of the better ones we might try to nitpick and just see what happens i don't know yeah it's a it's been a very fun first season we've learned a lot i mean everyone and their brother has a podcast these days but 
seeing as podcaster Adama does, and I mean, obviously, varying amounts of effort go into it. We want this one to be a good one because the purpose of it is to glorify God's kingdom. I mean, we can't do that in a half measure. So we hope that this sounds like a podcast that effort and love goes into because that very much is the case. Uh, season two, again, we're, we're going to try to step up the interviews. Uh, we want to talk about some uh, harder topics. We want to dive deep into scripture about what it says about stuff that you that we experience on a daily basis. We want to get pretty hardcore about our controversial target mm-hmm. uh, targets, topics. Uh, one thing that we really want this podcast to do is make it clear that people with uh, different opinions can come together in Christ. Like that, the whole unity theme that we talked about in the first half of this season that kind of fell off a cliff, like that is still very much there. We we are big on the concept of biblical unity because unity is indeed biblical, and we want to promote that through this podcast. So that's that uh, that is going to remain central to our goal. I think I can safely say that even without Tanner here, I believe he'd agree with that. Uh, but we're we're going to be trying some different stuff next season. Hopefully, there will be a lot less audio issues. But this has been season one. Thank you very much for listening, and I suppose I'll give you the final peace out.